hello friends. This is an Apple Music interview version of the world-famous Emo Dad podcast. What does this mean? No music. Why? Apple doesn't let us play songs. Does it sound a bit weird when we introduce a song and nothing happens? Nah. But, you know, you still get the conversation and all the good times. For the full version, switch on over to Spotify and search Emo Dad. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello friends, we're back with another awesome interview. My name is James. My name is Matt. And this is Summer on the Underground by A. Um, Jason Perry, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Emo Dad Podcast. You're welcome, Jay. I like, I like how you slipped into podcast presenter voice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, professional. You're Slide not, in. Uh, we're trying to, can... trying to get better at it. Sliding in, being all profesh. Yeah, I'm very um, excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we ask, uh, we'd like to start with all our guests with right at the beginning. And we wondered what your earliest memory of music is. Uh, I think my mum and dad playing me, uh, playing the Beatles in the house. Um, so Beatles, Hollies, Mamas and Papas and the Beach Boys were probably my first four bands that I loved. So wow. there's a common denominator in all those, and that's obviously melody and harmonies, which um, has been a big part of our kind of musical um, landscape <clears throat> or palette. Um, so I just grew up listening to really good pop songs. Um, I love the Hollies, I love Mamas and Papas. And it was only when I got older into record production and <clears throat> realized just how special those Mamas and Papas records are. And, how good it sounds um but yeah so that was that and then and then we got into our own music i think I remember tainted love by soft cells probably the first side of that or so lonely by the police was the first record I ever bought and then i got into the jam and they were my favorite band and then when i was 11 i went to see the jam live in leeds at the queen's hall and i was terrified <laughs> and, and, and imagine me 11, i mean back then leeds was rough it's a rough place and yeah um, <clears throat> Queen's Hall was like this rough standing gig, um, but my cousin Tucker's, she was older and wise and she, she took us and um, it was really special because my mum and dad said you can go, um, but you've got to work in some holidays to pay for your ticket. So me and my brother Adam, we kind of got a wheelbarrow and put a logo on the side and went around doing people's front lawns and gardens <laughs> all some holidays and then, and then bought our tickets and went to the jam. And it was blew my mind. And then I remember going back to school and saying to the headmaster, I want to be, I want to be in a rock band. I want to be in a band. And he was like, okay, cool. Well, you better, you know, work hard at school in case it doesn't happen. And but that was it. And then meeting Paul Weller a few years or some years later at a festival somewhere, and seeing him in catering and saying, um, yeah, you changed my life. He was like, do you know how many fucking people say that to me? I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it. So I always loved music. And um, 
and quite eclectic as well. I always liked, but I remember Dan had this record called Classical Gas. And I remember he used to be like, doo, 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 doo. and it was like this, he used to love like instrumentals, like bands like Sky and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, there's never anything alternative or coming from a mum and dad's house. They weren't, you know, but um, I just loved, yeah, just loved having music on it all the time. Love it. And yeah. was um was it kind of the same journey for your brothers? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know about Giles. He's like, Giles, so me and Adam are twins, so yeah. everything's the same for us. Um, <laughs> we're five minutes apart, and we've always liked the same bands at the same time. Um, and Giles probably didn't really get into music until we moved. When we, when we were 13, me and Adam were 13, we moved from Leeds to Suffolk. Uh-huh. And then the first person we met at school, at this amazing school in Southwold, was um, in Raiden near Southwold, was Mark, our guitarist. And he introduced us to rock music. Like, I was into like big country and the alarm and new two and the jam. And, and then everybody from Suffolk was like, well, what we now call like village metalers. So <laughs> the, law, the law of village metal means you're allowed to like Dio or Iron Maiden plus one other band. But that's it. <laughs> and, um, so we spent our entire career trying to get Mark to like Van Halen and one of the band, and um, and, and he does. He, um, and he like Van Halen's his thing, and then um, and then I just got into Rush, like because my our next door neighbour was into Rush, and I loved Rush. Um, but I think Giles is in another band. He, he was in his own band when we moved to Suffolk. He, he's a, Giles is like the talented one of the family, so he can play any instrument really, I don't know why. He's, he's one of those kids who would go see like a West End musical with school and then he'd come home and go into his bedroom and work out how to play all the songs that he remembered all the way home. Wow. Or he'd learn a card trick and he could do, it'd be a great magician. And then he could just do anything, Giles. Whereas me and Adam don't really have much skill. My skill is <laughs> talking, talking a good game. Um, but yeah, so Giles is in another band called Cannibal Kane, and then and then he formed a band called The Gibbons, which is still my favorite band name ever. Um, and, and, and Dan Dan and Justin from The Darkness were in that band with him, because they're uh. all from Suffolk as well. Um, and they they played more like indie indie rock. And when we moved to Suffolk, I really got into a band called Jesus Jones. And um, <clears throat> when I was about 19, Jesus Jones and EMF and that kind of wave of UK kind of dance rock. Yeah, we ended up becoming best friends with Jesus Jones for some reason. And um, when we moved to London, we had this house in East Finchley, and all those bands like James and EMF and, and Derry and all the EMF boys and the Jones boys would come around our house, and Mary from Gay Bikers. And we just had this like indie rock house, it was mad. Um, and we, we don't know why we complained, and we ended up becoming really good friends with them all. Um, so it was really inspiring because they got you know, G- Jesus Jones was number one in America. Yeah, Ian, the keyboard player, would call me up, from, you know, on tour and just go, oh, this, this is amazing. And um, yeah, so just always being surrounded by music and musicians without knowing why or how, just just a friendly bunch, I guess. But yeah, that's, uh, that's like, people kind of ask you, how do you get a record deal and stuff? I was like, I don't know, we're trying for years, like for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I've told this story a few times on different podcasts, so it might be boring, but it was only when we stopped trying that we 
we've got a record deal. And um, it's an important lesson for me going forward with, with everything is that if you're trying really hard, you're always trying to please somebody and you're never going to please them. And um, we were trying really hard to get a record deal. We were good songwriters and we're like, how come we, we don't get a deal? And But we never felt hard done by, mm-hmm. never felt like the world owed us anything, but we were really poor. We'd been living on the Dole for like four years and we had our own little studio that we built in Shoreditch with a Prince's Trust grant and all these bands were hanging out there like Jesus Jones and EMF and like I said, and Miles from the Wonder stuff would come down. And we were just like, how come we've got this, but no one will give us a record deal. And then I watched this documentary on The Who one night and it was um, John Entwistle, the bass player, who's obviously not with us anymore. And he said, if you're trying to get a record deal, you don't deserve one. And I, was, <laughs> I, was, I remember being devastated by that. But then I woke up the next morning and I was just like, this like, oh my God, he's right. Do you think the Jam tried to get a record deal or the Clash? Like, didn't they were yeah. walking around London trying to impress people? So we literally down tools. We got rid of everything that we did. And then we all met down our studio and I produced, in inverted commas, these three songs, these demos. And within, I think, six weeks, we had nine, nine record deals on the table. Wow. Um, all from not trying to impress anyone and just trying to be huh. ourselves and, and bottle that thing that we had, which is like, why, why is everybody hanging out with us? It must be fun. So let's try and be in a, let's try and be in our gang and our favorite band. Let, let's let that come through because too busy trying to sound like everybody else. This is a terribly long answer to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's amazing. <laughs> um. So I think it'd be good, it's a good moment, I think, to play a song. If we had to kind of pick a song that kind of summed up maybe one of the sort of Jesus Jones bands or around there, that or maybe a song that really influenced you around that time, um, what would you choose? Well, from the jam, I'd choose This Is The Modern World because it, it taught me, it had that kind of punk rock, um, I'm going to make it mentality and no one understands us and they don't care. So that was really, those lyrics were really inspiring um to me and um yeah i think that sounds incredible so that would be it from the jam but then from from later on from that jesus jones era info freako was just a life-changing song for me okay amazing amazing that was a demo as well you don't get any more punk rock than that i think it was a a top 10 hit and it was a demo that cost 100 quid to make (laughs) love it Okay, well, um, why not? We we love to change the rules around here, so we're going to drop both those songs in right here and pick it up the other side. Um, so when when A was formed, um, you originally called Grand Designs, is that right? Yeah, sickening. And, yeah. <laughs> and you went for quite a few years under that name. Is that is yeah. that right? Yeah, and that was in our time of trying to um, like, like impress. Said, yeah, <laughs> trying to get a deal, trying to do what we thought bands did and what they looked like and stuff and we had no personality but we were getting into like prog rock then so it was kind of like Rush meets then Jericho meets I don't know that that, that kind of thing where rock meets pop mm. um, which was like a really safe place to be then this is like late 80s and it's only when Jesus Jones came along where I was like oh wait a minute they're doing rock music but in but not in a boring way in a kind of punky um dance music skateboardy 
way and I want to be in their gang. They look really cool. <laughs> and, it, and it made me realize that rock bands don't need to sound like we sounded. Um, so that was a big inspiration. But yeah, Grand Designs were pretty bad. But we, we had some songs from the Grand Designs era that made it into A. Okay. Just needed repackaging because they were decent melodies and stuff. Um, and we're never going to get a record deal with a name like Grand Designs. So we wanted a name that didn't mean anything. So that's why we chose A because instantly you, you can't forget it and it didn't stand for anything. And interestingly enough, that's why we got our gig that, um, that all the record labels came to because um, we, we didn't know this, but there's a, um, a, well, a promoter at the time promoted in a, in a um, it's called the Water Rats in King's Cross. Oh yeah, I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and there's a band called Bush, who you might remember were playing. Yeah. And they were about to go to America because they'd been dropped. Um, so this was like their last gig in, in London before they just tried to get a deal in America, which went really well for them. And, um, and there was a band called Moist from Canada. So the promoter thought, there's this band called A, that'll make a funny poster. It's a poster. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Jeff Mill, the agent, who's like, you know, big agent, um, there's a lot of big rock bands. He's still got that in his office. Amazing. Yeah, so that was how we got the gig. But so, you know, Grand Designs, Moist Bush wouldn't have been quite so funny. No, not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. And when and the um, so when you you had that kind of realization, you spoke about where you kind of thought, right, let's stop trying to impress everyone. Let's just do what we want. Was that at the same time that you changed the name and yeah. you um, and yeah. recorded the demo and stuff like that? So that all happened at the same time. Yeah, we changed the name before, and then um. And then we recorded these demos. And in between that time, we went to New York to meet this guy, wanted to managers called Andrian. And he worked at EMI Publishing. And me and Adam used to do sound in clubs, in like these, these like rave clubs at night for like a cash in hand gig. So we saved up enough money to go to New York and live on this guy's floor for a week. And we played at CBGB's and um, we, we played every night and we'd literally walk around New York walking with drums, drum kits and stuff and amps. They couldn't afford taxis or anything. <laughs> and um, so we played at CBs and we played uh, three or four of the places and no one cared or came to see us, but we got great experience. And New York back then made you feel like you could do anything when we got home. And, um, but Andrew worked at EMI. So we met to, went to meet him one day in the office and we stole loads of cassette, um, EMI cassettes and, and letterheads <laughs> and stickers and stuff. And then when we came home, we sent out all the demos again, but with on, on EMI um, <laughs> labels. <laughs> it looked like we were signed to EMI publishing. And you know what? It, it worked. Suddenly everybody listened to the songs. Yeah. And yeah. You know, that's not the nature of the music business. That's the nature of any business, you know? Um, yeah. You've got to do what it takes. So, um, yeah, we never signed to EMI. <laughs> it was quite funny. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, we spoke to um, Ross from Symposium recently, who, who oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, you, you, you know, and um, and I believe he was stealing things from record label offices as well. So that was obviously really? the way to go. Oh, right. those yeah, times. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, he's a lovely guy, <laughs> Ross. They're yeah, reformed, they? are reformed. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, all Sorry. their songs are appearing in Spotify and they're playing in November, I think. Yeah, we did um, a song them years ago. It was so, so much fun. Yeah, great they're band. Brilliant. Great band. Um, so, so you've changed the name. So you mentioned about the, the studio that you had. 
Um, yeah. So, so what kind of drove that ambition to have your own studio? Were you already interested in kind of producing, or was it just yeah. purely for your own band, or what, what was the story behind that? No, no, it, it wasn't for our own band. Just interested in producing. We tried to run a commercial studio. And um, ADATs had just come out. I don't know if you remember these eight-track digital mm. ADATs that you recorded on videotape. And um, again, we went back to New York and bought all this. That was when the, um, the pound and dollar were miles apart. Um, so we went there and we and we bought all this stuff. We got a grant from the Prince's Trust. We had to do a business plan, um, and then we got a bank to match the grant. The grant. So I think the grant was for three grand, and then uh, we, we went to see a, a bank manager at NatWest, and they matched it. So we got six grand. And yeah, you know, we were, I was living on twenty quid a week at the time, <laughs> so it was a lot of money. And then we went to New York, me and Adam, and just bought all this equipment second hand. Yep. and basically smuggled it all back into the UK and um, you know, kept it to New York loads. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> smuggled it back into the UK. And then, and then we got the studio place in, which is now, a, I think it's um, it's an Eats or, or something like that, but it's on Curtain Road and um, in Shoreditch, which is obviously a really cool area now. And um, we got it for like 50 quid a week for this bait. So we built a studio in there and it was, you know, really spit and sawdusty and, I used to live there. It was really damp and I got ill and, you know, classic, you know, working all night and sleeping on this damp sofa. And, um, but that's all I cared about. I didn't care about girlfriends or being rich or cars. I just cared about getting a, getting a record deal and, and going on tour. It's all I ever wanted. Um, and I was getting quite worried because we were getting quite old. We were 20, 26 at this point and I'm thinking we're never going to get a deal. And, uh, you know, just that important imposter syndrome all the time <laughs> yeah 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 um <laughs> so so you eventually get your deal with london records um yeah. in 96 um but then you released the records under your own subsidiary is that right yeah so we, we met a guy called paul mcdonald he's an amazing guy in london and um i mean this shows up like me and adam were managing the band at that point we had no mm. So we get all these phone calls coming from labels and they're taking us out for meals and we're just like, wow, we get been to like a restaurant, it's just insane. And I had a real meal. Um, and Paul called us and arranged to meet us at Liverpool Street Station. Um, it'd been to the gig as they all had. And we totally forgot about it. And we weren't trying to be cool or kind of stand him up or anything, but there was no mobile phones then. So he's no, he hung around for about an hour and we didn't know and then he called us again the week later and he went what was that about last week and we like oh mate we had no idea we completely forgot we're just we're trying to do all this ourselves, and it's a bit crazy everyone's trying to sign us and it's all a bit mad and he's like look would you mind coming for a beer and we'll meet again which is amazing of him you know he wasn't trying to be cool or being you know upset with us or being this big record company guy so we went out a beer and then he said, come to the office. And we walked into his office and he had the Outcome of the Wolves poster by Rancid and then a Jones Addiction poster and a massive Beastie Boys poster in his office. And um, I don't know how much of this is contrived, but it made him. And, and um, Pete Tong was head of A&R there. And Pete came in, like handsome Pete Tong, with this um, Grand Royal slip mat, knowing that we like the Beastie Boys. And we're like, <laughs> nice. and then Paul said to us, look, we want to sign you. Um, you know, well, why don't you go to New York for the weekend and, and we'll give you like a, a card and you can go shopping and stuff. And um, we were like, this sounds like, this is like a dream. Like, um, but 
we said what we'd rather do is why don't you buy us a van instead and we'll go on tour okay and uh, he was like i think he's quite impressed by the answer i don't think it's a trick question but so they did they give us um, a deal with loads of tour support in it and we said to them it's going to take us three years to get to a point where we're even decent so i hope you so can he sign us for two records like firm so you can't drop us and the first album did so bad and we got to i think we were playing venues probably i think we played 100 club and it was full so it's probably 300 people that's that's as much as we got on that first record yeah and they couldn't drop us they had to make they had to record a second record um and we did 260 shows in that first year in the back of this van wow wow they bought us yeah and steve strange bless him our agent who just passed away last year um uh, of this year sorry um they um yeah, he just book us, you know, Newcastle to Bristol, <laughs> Sunderland to London to Edinburgh <laughs> to Devon. It's like, you know, we'd just be driving all the time and playing. In front of, and then our first real gig was in Leeds in front of one person, a guy called Duncan at the, um, at the club in Leeds. And so that was, our, that was our ambition at that point was to get a front row and to go back to that venue in Leeds and, and sell it out. And it was only on the Hi-Fi Series Tour that we'd got to that point where we could sell it out. No, well, maybe End of Monkey Kong, which is a second album. Mm. But they tried to drop us on the Monkey Kong album. Well, they did drop us at the end of that album. Um, so, um, yeah, sorry, that I was, think my answer is long and rambly, but... No, it's, it's good. That, that was um, some impressive negotiating then you did there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was all, you know, if they want to... It's like anything, if you have to sell yourself to somebody, you've got no chance. Mm. So, you, you know, use Carsman car salesmen probably know when you walk in that, whether you're going to buy the car or not. They're just yep. going to help you make your mind up. Um, and I think that was always our problem. We were always trying to sell people stuff. And then one day we stopped trying and we made, some, we made a decent product that people wanted to buy, uh, as in the record labels. And, and you, don't, you don't have to spend time trying to impress them then. You can just be yourselves. And, um, and they liked hanging out with us and we'd go out for meals and we'd have fun and they'd be like, if you could bottle all this, um, this could be great, but at that point, it, boy bands were massive. There was no, mm. it was all take that and, um, and and kind of some of it I loved, you know, five and stuff like that. Um, it was really good, but that it was it was like NSYNC and and stuff. Um, and then yeah, we made our second album, which I loved making it, and I love that record. It was called Monkey Kong, and we were on tour in Germany with the Bloodhound Gang at the end of that. It basically saved our career. And um, and the label Tracy Bennett, who owns London Records, came out to drop us basically. And he saw the gig, and I think it was in Frankfurt, and this place just going off. And he's like, "Holy shit!" Is that has he been like this the whole time? He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> um, so this, he said, "Well, look, we'll give you some money to make some demos." Can I tell you the story? It's a bit of a yeah, 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 yeah. Please do for it. So this is between Monkey Kong, our second album, and our third album. And the way the deal was set out, we signed a five album deal, but two firm, which means I can't drop you. And remember, they can drop you at any point on any album, unless you've got these two, two firm, which you don't do any more labels. And the third album was quite a big advance. It was like, I don't know, it would have been like four or 500 grand or something. And we'd sold 25,000 records at that point. So the maths doesn't work. You know, the look at the, look at the advance for album three, look how much unrecouped you are. Yeah, this band not going anywhere. Um, we'll drop them. 
So we went to the label and said, look, we know you're going to drop us and we would as well. Um, but can you just give us a couple of a couple of thousand quid to go make some demos, to go make two songs from, from what we think is the next album? Um, and if you do that, we'll rip up the contract and start again if you like it, because we know we're not worth half a million quid or whatever. And they said, okay. So then we went and we went and wrote these songs. We didn't have a deal. We were living on credit cards. And I only had five grand on my credit card or something, but that's all we could live on. And Warner Chapel, who's our publisher, they did the same thing. They dropped us as well. Um, but again, we left. We went to see Richard, who was the head of Warner Chapel, and went out for a beer and said, you know, we don't blame you, but we're going to prove you wrong in a nice way. So we go to ICP Studios in Belgium and record a song. We recorded Starbucks, a song called Starbucks, and a song called Going Down. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. What, I had a demo for this song called Nothing that didn't have mm -hmm. the chorus or something. And Koran came out and, and covered it, and it was like a big, big thing in Koran. And, and we brought it back to the label and played it to them, and they went, okay, this is really good. We'll, we'll, give, you, we'll give you a small amount to go make the album now but we won't give you a full on record. We won't pay for your rent or anything. Um, and then, and Warner Chapel heard it, our publishers and went, yeah, we like it, but we're not going to pick up the option. So, okay, fair enough. So we go back to ICP with this small amount of money and we make Hi-Fi Serious. And then we came back and, and we walked into London Records with our manager tank and London had been bought by Warner's then, right? So it's Warner's now. So they've got loads of money. And rock music starting to happen on the radio feed or just had a hit. Okay. The zeitgeist is kind of coming together a little bit. Um, and you can feel that, you know, I think some 41 had just come out, Limp Biscuit were big. So we came back and we had this CD and we put it into, into John, who was the um, um, MD of London, put it into his CD player in his office, turned it up and he said, well, what track should we play? And Tank, our manager said, take your pick. We don't, don't care. He's like, really? There's only singles on here. And Tank said, they're all singles. Pick <laughs> <laughs> a number. <laughs> anyway, he played nothing. And um, he played it again. And then he played it again. And then he got in all the promo team and went, can you get this on top of the pops? And um, and Pete and Andy there said, yeah. And and that was it. They signed us on the spot. And um, it sounded amazing in, in, in his office. So we went out and got it all mixed and everything. And then Warner Chapel... Richard at Warner Chapel that they, they dropped us for this album, right? Mm -hmm. And Adam's wife was working at Warner's um, head of international, and her friend or her boss was a guy called Hass, who ran the international department, and he'd heard this CD with nothing on it in Starbucks, and he was in the gym with Richard from Warner Chapel, and he went, "Holy shit, have you heard the new A stuff?" <laughs> he was like, yeah, we've, we've dropped them. We can't pick it up. He's like, "I think you need to listen to it again. It's finished now." So we got a call from Warner Chapel, and for the first time in publishing history with them, they re-signed us for the same album that they dropped us on. And they said, can wow. we re-sign you? And we said, yeah. And, and we said, but the only condition is that you write off all the debt so that we're officially recouped. Yeah. Okay. So that's what they did. So yeah, we got, we got our publishing deal back on the nice. same record that they dropped us with, with the same songs. And then, um, and then Warner's picked us up for that album and the album did really well in the end. So, um, yeah, it was a really a magical time that was. Just amazing. So, 
So again, you um, you actually smashed it out of the park with the negotiations on that one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you should be a banker or something. Think, yeah, but we do. Me and Adam are doing loads of business stuff now, and 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 it's amazing. All those people from the from back in that that's twenty years ago are all still friends from the business there. We always got on with the business side of the music business. We didn't resent. It wasn't like they're the suits, right? You know, and they're all great people. You mm. know. And if, if you get dropped from a record label, it's because, you know, it's maybe your relationship's not good or your material's not good, or maybe it's unfair, but, you know, life is unfair, isn't it? And um, we never had that chip on our shoulder at all, really. And we, we always thought, um, not being arrogant, because maybe we weren't arrogant enough, but we always thought if we get if we get dropped, we'll just get another deal. Hmm. It'll right. Be all right. And, um, so we never really, it wasn't like this big thing. And um, that's what used to know me about X Factor when you'd see kids on X Factor and they'd get, they'd, they'd get kicked out of a round and they'd start crying or something. And they'd be like, what are you crying for? Just, yeah. all you've done is being kicked off X Factor. Like, do you think this is it? Yeah. Was that literally your only chance? If you could, <laughs> if you could you'd literally walk out of here and, and go to a record label and get a deal. Mm. Or, or, or you're not good enough. And, and so, um, but we always kind of thought we'd, we'd, we'd do all right, really, I think. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's just a, oh, it's so exciting. I can't tell you how exciting it was. Yeah. Those, day, those days of being on Warners and it's just every day was just, just amazing. It's like, it's like reading your own book. It was just brilliant. And I loved, loved sound checks. I loved interviews. I loved talking, as you can tell. Love being the centre of attention. Love being in our band and our gang and all our crew were our best mates and everyone at the label were mates and our agent was it just, it was just great. Surrounded by beautiful, lovely people who've been our friends ever since and who are loyal and love each other and love what they do. And it's an amazing industry, the music industry. I don't care what anybody says. It really is. It's just, just been, it's just brilliant. And you know, I'm not rich from it, but we, I'm rich in, in stories and friendships and stuff. So and that's cliche, but, it, but that's no. I I I think that's most important. I mean, you know, I think from any walk of life, you, you could make loads of money, but if you're not happy, then what's the point? Uh, which yeah. again is a bit of a cliche, but um, yeah. but it sounds like you were living the dream, which is awesome. We really were. I mean, the only thing I didn't like was being away from loved ones, from mm. girlfriend, and Mark had kids, so it was hard for Mark. None of none of us did, and we were very immature in a way. So we probably didn't realise the toll it was taking out on Mark, our guitarist, until we had kids. Yeah. Um, it's hard to even, you know, I mean, empathy-wise, it's until you've got your own children, you, you can't even, you know, begin. But, um, and, and losing my voice was the hardest thing because I like to talk and I'm really insecure. So, you know, I kind of think if, I'm one of those people that think if I'm, I don't know, I don't want anyone to think I'm moody. You know, I'm a, a pleaser. That okay. pleases my ego. So maybe that's why I became a singer. Mm. Um, not because I can't sing, but I always wanted to be the front man. I always love talking and love being excited and love stories and sharing all that with people. I love, I love that. So to be on tour and, and have to not be able to talk for two months, I found it really lonely, really hard and, and, mm. and, and really depressing. I didn't know at the time. But it, it was really, it was horrible when you can't enjoy your job. Um, 
but we got through it. We know we'd go on stage and you think there's, there's no way I can do this gig tonight. No way. And you'd go on stage and the crowd would help you out. And by the end of it, you're like, yeah, that's one of the best nights of my life. And then yep. how are you going to do it again tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and you would. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's play a song. Um, it'd be nice to play a song, I think, from the, the debut album. You said it didn't do well, but I mean, it's a good album. It's a good album. Yeah. Um, have you got any favourites from that that first album? Yeah, I love Bad Idea. Um, and I've got a little story. That was a, Steve Lamack was the most important DJ in, in England at the time. Great guy. And we knew that he liked, we've been told that he liked songs with lists. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but idea was a list song, so the label like right. Lamax going to love this, and no one cared about the band. But Lamax started to play on Radio One, and we were driving back from a gig in Brighton one day, and I nearly skidded off the road again. It was one of those moments where you feel like you're in a book when you hear you hear your song on Radio One. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's why I love Bad Idea because it's such a romance about it, and we loved it so much we had to do some B sides once in LA, and we ran out of ideas, so we recorded a B side called Good Idea which is exactly exactly the same, but we just flip the lyrics around. I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, this is Bad Idea by A. So, um, with kind of Starbucks and nothing coming out and you kind of being, I guess, at the height of where, of where the band was, yeah. Um, what was it kind of like on those tours at that point when you were kind of headlining, I guess, and playing across Europe and further afield? Oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, the only thing that they don't tell you is that you're going to go on tour at that level. Because on a major record, you know, when you, uh, it only happened once, and that was then, where a major record label press a big red button okay. um, on your band. And you get made what's called international priority. And at the time it was us, the streets and Madonna. Nice. So, okay. Um, so that's the kind of league that you're in now. Right. And, um, and we're like, wow, what does that mean? And it, what it means is that you're going to be, you and Adam are going to be off doing promo in Scandinavia for two weeks, while the rest of the band are going to be in Germany doing some stuff. Um, and you'd be flying uh -huh. around on private jets and stuff, but you'll spend a whole day in a hotel in Stockholm doing what actors do, you know, when they're releasing right. a, a film where a journalist comes in and you answer the same old questions. And and I like doing that. You go for restaurants at night, meet the record label and stuff, and but no gigs. And then um, and then we do that in between tours. When people say pop stars work hard, I really got to know how hard pop stars work and how exhausting that is where you're, okay. you're just on all the time if you know what i mean yeah and it's, it's tiring you don't realize at the time but it's, it's tiring and, and um but you know you know um, it was it was a great experience and you'd end up making up silly stories to you know <laughs> so we'd, we'd say things like in spain our, our album's gone to number one in america and they'd just print it like we'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd say things on stage and know that Karan were there reviewing it and I just go this is our top 10 single in America called Old Folks and and, and print it and because um, there's no internet no one could do any due diligence <laughs> and um, so we make up stories like that we had a snake on tour and we bought this big flight case of this long flight case <laughs> snake, and we, and we on the tour bus and stuff and, and then we'd start living by these stories and 
it was really good. And I, I remember doing that once. And, and then um, we started a tour with Die Totenhausen in Germany. And we were mates with some of the guys from the offspring. And, and they said, oh, it's maybe not a good tour to do because they're a very partisan audience. Okay. Totenhausen's audience um, in a respectful way. It's like, it's like ACDC, you know, they've got, they're like right. ACDC. And so it's not a good tour to do, but me and Adam were doing this promo tour of Europe and then we flew into Germany and then we met the band who was already in Germany backstage in this massive, enormous arena um, in Germany. You know, arenas are so big that you can drive your tour bus in inside <laughs> and stuff. And, um, and we went into his dressing room feeling quite nervous because I've not played a gig, we haven't rehearsed for three weeks. I've seen the boys. Mm -hmm. We're in a dressing room, all the crew mucking around and stuff, and then the Toten Hosen come in, which is like you two coming in to the dressing room. That's right. Yeah, in Germany or, or Aerosmith or something. And then Campino, the singer, says, Hi guys, you know, where the Toten Hosen? This is our crew. We brought you a bottle of Jack Daniels. Um, everybody in this building is our family. That includes you guys. Um, hands up, who's the lighting guy? So Rob puts his hand up and he goes, Rob, this is. I don't know, Christoph, you, okay. you guys go off and get to know each other. You can use every single light in the building. And we're like, what, what about the follow spots? So like, we'll pay for all that. Because that was in the days of truck drivers sitting up there doing all the follow light, follow spot yeah. lights. Yeah, we'll pay for that. You can use all the PA. Eds, go off with our sound man, be friends. And then, so all our crew got sent off with their crew to become friends, which I've never heard of before. And then Campino took me out for a little walk around the venue, which is massive. And he's like, look, we love our fans, but they love our band. And then it's sometimes difficult for support bands. because So if you want, if you don't mind, then you can please say no. If it makes it easier or you want, or you think it's a good idea, I could walk on stage with you every night and introduce you. <laughs> what? It's like Bono saying that. Wow. It's like 25,000 you know, capacity rooms. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> we walk on with our arms on each other and you just go meet my friend jason and our friends hey and we just have an absolute rip right and um like really important lessons and we went out one day in, in hanover and we went out with the drummer for some beers and a meal and i said look why are you like this like what is it with your band and he goes well you were a long time away from home it's hard work Imagine how hard it'd be if you were miserable the whole time or if mm. people hated you or for you. Yeah. Because we've we've enjoyed it and um and we've worked out we've enjoyed it by being nice. And, and if you're nice, people are respectful. If they're not, you kick them off the tour. But it's never <laughs> happened. And um really important lesson. So when our band started getting big, we were like, that's how you want to approach everything, no ego and um and and um but yeah, my, my point is even at that level, the bigger we got the nicer the band seem to get. Wow, that's that's interesting, because, like, I guess from the outside, you might assume it was the other way around. Yeah, and it's the opposite. Wow, okay. And, um, it's the same when you produce. The bigger the band, the easier out to work with. You know, touring with Green Day, doing stadiums, and I'm having a wee in, 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 in the dressing room, and, and Billy Joel just comes in and introduces himself. like, And we just start chatting and become mates and on that tour, and just nice people because yeah. they're away from their families and they're all grown-ups and they just want to have a good time. They want to have a get through the day, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've not really, yeah. Most big bands we've been on tours have been brilliant. 
Um, great. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. Everything's brilliant, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it should be. <laughs> it really was. Um, so when, so obviously you did, you're having great success. When the time came round for the next record, how was the kind of mood in the band or with the label? Yeah, so that, um, and I, I use this as a lesson now when I'm producing. And, okay. And I don't think every member of the band agrees with this, by the way, but I, I think we really messed up that album. But two things happened, the zeitgeist moved, changed. Yeah. So we went, we went to Seattle with Terry Day to make a record. And we, we weren't trying to make Nothing Part Two. We tried to do that with a song called Good Time and it did all right, but it wasn't, you're never gonna replicate what Nothing was. And we kind of didn't know what our band was. We'd, we'd been a very eclectic band, loads of personality. Um, and we just played whatever we liked. Right. And then we were like, okay, now we're going to be a rock band, Karang Lovers. We're going to be... Um, so we went to make an album. It was all about riffs and there's some good moments on it, but, you know, spending three days getting a kick drum sound and working on the bottom end. And oh, I'm not saying that stuff's not important, but what is important is losing your identity. And I feel like we, we, we went back to that thing that I said earlier where we're trying to where we were trying to make something that we thought people wanted. Right. And yeah. by the time we come home, inevitably, and you hear this cliche all the time, it was like, I remember looking at NME going, who's this band of Kaiser Chiefs? They're getting big. You know, and yeah. then by the time we got home, they were big. And rock music yeah. was off the radio, and, and we went into that new kind of um, decade of indie rock, you know, which, mm. was, um, which was, you know, now we probably miss that. <laughs> right. Um, but that was all of the charts. Now, so we'd missed our zeitgeist there, and... And, and that's fine. And that's what I love about heavy metal, actually, and punk rock and stuff, is that they don't ever need a zeitgeist. Right. Like, metal bands have always got an audience, and it doesn't matter whether rock music's big or not. Mm. You've got a metal audience. And we ended up marketing-wise, or positioning-wise, when we came back, we were kind of between two stools. We weren't a metal band. We weren't a punk rock band. We'd been on top of the pops, and we'd had big hit singles. Right. And now we come back without any... And we kind of weren't, you know, we weren't at arena level, we were at Brixton Academy level. So we weren't Wembley size. So we didn't have this kind of inbuilt audience that's going to be with us for the rest of our life, like the Deftones would have had. Mm. Right. And um, and I felt like I knew, I knew we were on a, And we played a tour, which is really good. I love that tour. But it, it wasn't as buzzing as a tour before, or the hi-fi tours. And then we did a tour after it, a little bit smaller. We still did some really good stuff, like we supported um, Limp Biscuit in Finsbury Park, and we, we did loads of tours around Germany and, and Japan and stuff, and, and, and America. It was great, but I felt like all the personality that we'd built our band on, it, it's my fault, we'd lost it a bit on the album, and um, it takes a while to realise that, because you, you love your new record, but um, it just seemed to lack personality. It could okay. have been any band, and... and that was what our that was what was good about our band was you wanted to be in our band in our gang and suddenly we just made this all right rock record which some of the band members of the band would disagree with that and um and that's fine and some fans would as well i'm not i'm not cussing the record but mm -hmm. i'm just cussing myself really 
didn't do oh. a very good, very good job on it. So, yeah, it kind of it's hard once you've had that momentum to not have it, especially when you're on, you're on a major record label, because they've only got one route to market. And then it was also the dawn of digital music and being given away free and right. bad, bad crosshairs to be in, really. Um, when you've gone on, you know, having gold records, to suddenly only selling a tenth of that. Right. Um, major record labels are going to be like, yeah. And there's plenty of other bands on the label to get excited about at that point. So, you know, they weren't excited about it and, and couldn't really couldn't really shop it. We didn't get on radio with it. So it was doomed to fail at that point. Mm-hmm. It's a real shame. Do you, do you feel like, like record labels, like you, you spoke earlier about kind of like understanding record labels' decisions. Yeah. Do you feel like even within that they can be quite quick to pull the trigger or would you like would you have like in a dream world would you have liked them to say okay that one didn't work out let's go back let's find that personality let's make another record yeah of course but i also understand i mean don broker when i made my first don broker record with them they were on sony uh-huh. and good budgets we kept adding more and more studio time and um, you know, and you're like, wow, this is going to go, and it didn't. It just it took a time. It took a while for that record to go because they didn't get any radio with it, right? And, and record labels only really are, you know, have only just started to work out that you don't need radio, and there's other ways to break a band. But if you're in a rock band and you don't get radio, um, it's a long old slog. So to expect a label, a major label, to be around for that slog, you know. We're probably 1.6 million quid in debt still, and you know, wow. you know you don't want to keep building on that debt all the time. Sure. So it's only when when Broker got let go by Sony, which I was devastated about, and the band were as well. But look what's happened to them since. Mm. Yeah. You know they, they've just played and played and played, made better records, and now they're in arenas. Um, and I bet I bet Sony wish, <laughs> I bet Sony would love to sign them again now. Right. Um, but can you blame the label? No, you know, they've got quarterlies to meet and they've got staff and sure prices and we're a business. It's called the music business, not the music charity. Yeah. And everybody that works in that business, you know, some of them are terrible. Some of them are great. And sure. I've met a terrible estate agents as well. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Good point. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, cool. Let's um let let's play out with us or let's play out the section with a song. What was your favorite song to play live around this time? Oh well, <laughs> my favorite song to play live was always the one that's easiest to sing. <laughs> my voice is so bad and it's so thin. Like my speaking voice is three times louder than my singing voice. So I'd look okay. at the set list and just go, oh my God, no, it just looks so hard. So I'd look forward to the ones like um, Starbucks is really easy. Okay. Um, and the chorus, you know, the fans are going to sing the chorus. And so, um, yeah, I'd look at a set list. And, and, but it's a song called Summer, Summer on the Underground. And I love, I love that song as well, playing that live. And that, but I think my favorite A songs play live is Fog On. Okay. Awesome. And bonkers. And, and they're joining yep. the first line and then it's just off. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I love that song. Uh, me too. My absolute favourites when you guys play that live. Oh, um, this you. is uh, Foghorn by A. Yeah, Calvin! <laughs> 
Um, got a funny story about that as well. So that line is like, sick of you, well, what do you think you are? Uh, obviously, you never know what key it's in, because I'm starting it. So Giles, uh, my brother and keyboard player, he, he holds down a little bit of feedback. He just goes, ah. so I know what notes come in. So I'll, I'll go get a drink and I'll listen to the, in my head, I go, sick of you, oh, I'll be like, sick of you, well, so I know what notes come in. So now I'm like, and he'd be in but to start messing around on tour he'd start doing this little thing with his pitch bend on his keyboard (laughs) every night and it was just like this little joke mark and dan would be laughing their heads off and i'd come in on the wrong key every night and sometimes it's going out live on mtv and radio and stuff i loved all that it's so good Proper stitch up. <laughs> um, so we, we find ourselves, I believe, in about 2004. Um, was, was, did A go, did they go on the, the fashionable hiatus at that point or was it a proper breakup? No, fashionable hiatus. Yeah, that was, that was the standard at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's definitely good. And, and you, pragmatically, we got dropped by a, a major record label, so we had no job. Mm. So it's, like, it's, like, it's like five of your best mates lo- all losing the job and your crew and your managers. And imagine 20 of your best mates all lost a job on the same day. Yeah. That's, that's what it's like. It's not a good day. And if I hear footballers whinge about how oh, there's no support from when they get older and their career's over, I'm like, mate, you tried being in a band. <laughs> There's no union. There's no Gordon Taylor from the PFA or no <laughs> massive amounts of wages. You can't just go get a job at the club. Yeah, you know, exactly. Every single every single blooming member of the band is phoning up the record label the next day, going, "Can you give us a job?" Of course not. Um, so it's it's really horrible, and I found that time brutal. To be honest, I got really depressed. I'd just sit on the kitchen floor, phone stopped ringing. Nobody wanted to talk to me anymore. It was it was over. It was horrible, mm. um, absolutely horrible. Um, so I started writing songs and, and producing, and me and Dan wrote some songs together with our friend Julian, and Adam Adam became our manager, and, um, okay. and we, we started writing for Busted, and then Busted, yeah. Busted broke up, and it became Matt Willis. Okay, um, so so that was going to be my question. So. Um, so obviously you've gone on your hiatus um, and you, you, as you just explained, you had that kind of um, understandably kind of dark time after that, the band had kind of gone on hiatus. Did you then think, right, I need to do something. I need to get back to producing. Was that kind of, that was your, your, your way, so to speak. That yeah. was uh, your way out. Yeah. And obviously that's hard to do. You know, people spend mm. their entire life trying to become a rock producer Mm. Um, and I'd never produced anything apart from my A stuff. Yep. But I had a good sense of what my style would be, and I'd learned from some really good producers, and like do's and don'ts and things that I, I thought I would do if I became a producer. Just like a football player would watch, you know, Alex Ferguson or Wenger and just go, all right, I'll right. learn from those. Yeah. Um, and I knew as a singer what I liked and didn't like in the studio, and I thought I'll take that into it. So kind of, yeah, Matt, Matt let us go away and spend a year and a half making his record, which I'm super proud of. Um, and it sounds really good, but and we kind of learned, learned our chops on that really. Mm. Um, and then Adam and Dan joined the Bloodhound Gang and then I did some 
I did some on stage sound for them, so we kind of toured around most of the world doing big shows, doing monitors for them, which was hilarious. And then, that was the days when Bam Majera would come out with us, and it was just, yeah, I mean, it kind of begin. Nice. You, you, that was. <laughs> you, you weren't in Russia for that famous gig, were you? Um, Adam and Dan were, and obviously yeah. they got expelled from Russia. Um, yeah. <laughs> Adam on the show. I mean, the headline in the paper was if World War Three starts, blame the Blood Hand Gang. And you know, it was all <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Not, not... Look where we are. Look where we are now, right? Imagine that. I mean now. Oh God. Yeah, no, I don't gang. even want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. So so how did you so so you're kind of thinking, right, time to do some producing. How did you kind of end up working with with Busted and and then Matt Willis. How did that kind of um, happen? It's my friend, my friend Julian, who'd known for years. He was writing songs and pitching them to record labels. Mm. And he said, Look, I'm trying to get in with this guy called Paul Adam at Island Records. And I'd never met him. I don't know Paul. And I said, Oh, I'll 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 um help you work on a few of these ideas. So we worked on these songs. One was called Hey Kid, which was really good. And I helped him get that better. And then I've just found up Paul from Island Records and because I was in A. I could get a meeting. Mm. So I did, right. just went and played the songs to Paul. Turns out he's the world's nicest guy. And he loved the songs and went, you should go have a beer with Matt. And this was back in Matt's drinking days. And I've never drunk so much in my life. <laughs> and just <laughs> everywhere. And um, and then me and Matt got on really well. And, and and Julian. And then, so we were just writing with him, but the demos were sounding so good. Paul just went, why don't you produce a record? This is This sounds great. So... That's what we did. And they obviously had massive hopes for him, but you know, Matt Matt was a different a different animal then and his band had just split up while we were in the studio with him. He'd been told that Busted were over. And he he, you know, he he turned to 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 Vice's very insecure, lovely guy. And um and we, you know, we tried to help him and understand all that. And and he, he went to rehab a few times and stuff and it just didn't help with the record and mm. um, couldn't really get behind it. And, you know, Matt's one of the dearest, sweetest, best people I've ever met in my life. And he's so healthy now and he's just obsessed with that and he's just an incredible guy. And to be in the studio with him, it really opened my eyes. It's all I've, all I've been in these, you know, I'd been the singer and now I was producing the singer in England's biggest band. And um, we just were having fun with him. And he's just absolutely amazing. So yeah, we spent a year making that record and I loved it, learned so much. And Matt was just amazing. His patience with us was just incredible. Yeah. And uh, it did well, right? It didn't do, it didn't sell a million records, which we thought it was going to do, but it did all right. It did, it did all right. It went, went gold, I believe. Um, um, yeah, I think, I think maybe, yeah. I haven't got a gold disc for it, but I don't, I don't think there was any. <laughs> um, I think it probably has them now. But that got us noticed by McFly because their okay. manager was Busty's manager. Yep. But it wasn't it wasn't the management. It was Nick Gatfield who ran Island Records at the time called Adam and said, "Just heard this Matt Willis song. It sounds amazing. Would you be interested in doing this song for McFly for the World Cup?" Um, okay. The song called "Home Is Where the Heart Is" for the World Cup. So we went and did that with them, and ended up getting on great with them. And then did an, did an album with them called "Motion in the Ocean." Which which I loved, I got them into Jellyfish and 
We made a jellyfish sounding records. <laughs> jellyfish. Yeah, we we um a while ago we spoke to Matt Squire who recommended oh, yeah, jellyfish. Matt, yeah. Matt and, had a song on the um, Matt Willis album. Oh, did he? Did he? Yeah. Well, there you go. It's all coming together now. I, I, I'd never listened to Jellyfish in my life, and it's great. I love it. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, really Absolutely good. Amazing, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, what's it like working with McFly then? Because they seem like good lads from from the outside. Yeah, yeah it's hard because um, well, it's not hard, but we're we're so close now. We're like mates, so I always want to bring something to the party that's going to kind of disrupt. The, the album process because when you get as big as them and you've been a, been around doing it for as long we can spend about two weeks before an album going you know what are we because I always keep saying to them it's really easy when you're 15 16 and it's like what music mm. do you like we're like Blink Ray 2 and Green Day everything else is shit well you, you know what kind of records you're going to make but when you get to our age and you literally like and appreciate everything right and then you've got Danny who and, and can play you know a guitar really well and you've got Tom who can play and, and, and Harry, they can all play anything. Mm. Tom can jump on the piano and play anything. So it's really hard to, and I think good creativity comes out of, you know, um, narrow borders. If you, if it's too wide, you're never going to get anywhere. So, um, so that's always trying to bring something in and think, right, this is going to, this could shape a sound for this record. It could get the boys really excited. Like Jellyfish did for them they never heard it um and and now you know i remember my pitch for that record was like what 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 if, what if we made a modern beach boys record mm. um but in, in, in our, our way of doing it and then um and on the new album we've just made that we just finished which is probably the best one i've done with them um at their new studio we've just finished it. it's just been mixed right now with, with chris sheldon and um and it's all like the remit for this was no no keyboards um or only keyboards that you, you can play no programming at all and it all has to be guitar guitar okay. driven so everything's like 70s early 80s soft rock guitar riffs and it's brilliant it's amazing and you've got these great fly eaglesy melodies and stuff over these aerosmith rush boston wow. aor kind of riffs and um so that was our starting point for that. And again, you know, you just get in a room with them and just go, right, you've got, you've got permission to rock out now. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's enjoy being in that kind of band with no irony. We're not trying to be a prestige. Right. So, um, yeah, that's what my job is as a producer is to supercharge them and then bring people in that they've never worked with before. Um, so like on the album before I brought Rat Boy in, and, okay. and, um, and and Jordan did some programming and stuff and brought in different sounds and stuff. And um, and on, on this album, we've had a bunch of people come down, but my friend Steve from Lost Alone came down and and um, and, and loved just writing these riffs. He's just great at that. So now we're jamming with different people and we're getting different energy in. And before you know it, you're making a record and it's fun. And that's what record production is for me, really, is that is how am I going to get the best out of this band today? How am I going to make it a great day in the studio? And then by the end of all those great days, you get a great album. Yeah. Because um, it doesn't always go well. There's days when it's not a great day. So you've got to always be thinking ahead of what, what you're going to try and accomplish today. And I never want it to 
be like work and I never want to hear effort and never, you know, you should, again, back to that thing earlier, if you're trying too hard, maybe, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These songs have come together so easily and these moments where we're all just looking at each other going, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> like, record, record it, record it, quick, quick. <laughs> yeah, they're a live band, they're playing it in the studio. It's just yeah. brilliant. Amazing. An amazing band, amazing. If you ever see them live, they'll blow you away. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they played so seen... last year and people couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw Muck Busted, I think. At... Oh, yeah. At slam dunk maybe but yeah i mean um but yeah i would um i'd love to to go and check them out um if we could play then a mcfly song that you've you've been involved in have you got any favorites over uh, the years oh that's a good question i never really thought of it in a way um a song called little joanna that i really love motion in the ocean but my favorites are I, we can't play them because not out yet. And you. Sitting on my phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The song, I can't even say the title of it, but it's got, it's just the best thing. It's probably the best thing I've ever done with a band. I can't stop listening to it. Um, yeah, that's on my phone. I can't wait for people to hear it. And when is that um, new McFly album out? Do we know yet? I don't know. I don't know. They've just come back from Brazil um, where they did a massive tour and they're doing some shows at the moment. Um, so I guess it'll, it's just been mixed right now. It's not even mm. been mastered yet. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so uh, what was it? Little Joanna, did you say? Yeah, Little, little Joanna. Little Joanna. It's very jellyfish. It's got loads of key changes in it and beats Brilliant. Queen, it's Queen. Great, sounds good to me. Uh, this is Little Joanna by McFly. Um, so you kind of already talked about sort of your process as a producer. Um, and I'm also a, a professional creative person, so I love talking about, as you say, like um, uh, giving people limits with creativity yeah. so that that, because with limitations, that's when you're most creative when you're pushing to get up against something. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, I had a look at your website, absolutely loved the website, specifically the photo of you playing in a Deliveroo uniform. Oh, yeah. That was like uh... that very much. Good times. Um <laughs> I know someone like talking about a record being an adventure. Yeah. I think that sounds super inspiring and full of energy. And I, and I wondered if you had a sort of a, a specific process that you go through with bands, because I watched the little Don Broco um, video and it said like you made like a playlist of things to kind of inspire them and stuff. Yeah. Is, is that the kind of thing you do with bands? I always do that, yeah. So like on this new McFly stuff, we made this playlist and, and the band contribute to it and we, and we just get excited about music. I want them to be excited about coming to, coming to the studio. So we put Journey on there and Rush and Boston and Van Halen and Aerosmith and um, all these bands that we're referencing, Weezer and stuff. And, um, and, and we just keep adding to it and then immerse ourselves in, in what we're trying to do. Um, so I did that, did that with Don Broco. Um, didn't do it on the last album with Don Broco that we did because we knew we only had one rule for the last okay. album, which is what we didn't want to do anything stock. So we had this thing called a stock take every day where we do a stock take and see if, if what we did was a little bit stock the day before. And so the, the idea of this new album was just to not give a shit. 
Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that takes a lot of effort as a producer because bands really give a shit. Right. Mm. So I've got to be the one in the room who just doesn't give a shit. And when I start, uh, and, and, and they're very skillful as well, Don Brock, sure. great musicians. So you've almost got to save them from themselves a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and they really get that now. It took a while to get that with me, where I'm like the caveman in the room. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to be a good musician. I just go up with shit. <laughs> or, or, or there's a song called Nerve where it's just this little piano piece ding, 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 ding that we came up with and it took two seconds to come up with it and I was playing it with one finger right and um, you know, bands are looking at me like well, this is dude, like, there's nothing about music but um, <laughs> I don't need to because they do and I've just right. got to, so I've got to take them somewhere always a little bit of an adventure either to ICP or I take bands to Texas a lot before the pandemic to the studio there. Okay. So out in the desert, shooting guns and you know scorpions <laughs> and and rattlesnakes and all that stuff where you're just away from the norm. Um, so it feels like a, an adventure. I always try and use residential studios as well. So okay. we can all eat, eat together at night. That's my favorite thing. Um, what else I do? I do vocals every day. So always. Okay. My normal day in the studio is getting up. Um, even get some at different times. I try and get in the studio for 10, 11 on my own. And then I have two hours on my own uh, or an hour on my own drinking coffee and listening to what we did the day before, mm-hmm. writing some notes down what I accomplish, I want to accomplish in the day. Never show that to the band. And then I'll get, we broke, I'd get Bobby over to do some vocals just before lunch for an hour. Um, and it's normally patching what we did last night. Okay. I've done a rough comp of it and seen what he thinks. Then we'll have lunch and then in the afternoon Simon will come over and we'll do guitars and always try and keep three people in the studio always. So there's always two members of the band and me. And that's okay. the golden r- r- rule where you've not got too many cooks, but you've got someone to in the band who knows how it should all go and jump off each other and stuff. And then after dinner, we'd all have dinner and a few glasses of wine and then we'd do like vocal sessions into the night and then try and just do three hours of vocals, no more, two or three hours. And then I'd, I'd have rules like if the band are going to be in there, which I want them to be when Bobby's doing vocals, I, I don't want people just sitting around looking at him. You've got to be filming. Got to, you've got to have, hold a light or hold a camera, something so Bobby can show off to you. And uh, okay. maybe maybe tonight Bobby's just on an SM7 mic that he can jump around with and we can just have a mess around night. It's not posh vocal time. We'll do that in the morning. Um, and I never use vocal booths, so Sing's always in the studio with me next to the desk. Okay. We can talk like this, not down a top back button into headphones and stuff. And the band are normally in there and we're normally mucking around and having fun. And I try and I've got like a try and build it up, build it up, and always think of ideas for them to do. So when we stop, I don't just go, okay, that was I always say, you know, try doing this, try singing it bit more awake or you know a little bit quicker or slow it down or mess with the phrasing or always giving them little things to do and then trying to comp it as we're going along and then by the end of it I think we've got enough and then they're like right you're done go to bed (laughs) I'll see you in the morning and I'll I'll knock this up into shape and see what you think of it and that's what we do every day until the record's made so um and then and then there's no rules and like so so some of the songs on the new broker album 
Bobby did most of the vocals on a little 20 quid Behringer handle mic <laughs> into a little 30 quid Behringer mixer, two channel okay. mixer, into his laptop through the worst like digital converter you've ever seen. Like maybe the whole setup was 70 quid in his bedroom. And, wow. And I'd say a lot, maybe two or three of the songs, the vocals are done that way for the verses. Is that was that a lockdown thing, or was that just no, what was? Just I like the sound of it, and um, I like the sound of the right. demos, and that's the mic you'd use on the demo. So I was like, go do that. And some of the fills, like Manchester Super Red number one fan of the fills and the drums are recorded through my iPhone, just holding it above Matt's kit. Wow! <laughs> All that is is my iPhone on. Boom, 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 boom. Um, we'd have these like trying to get different sounds to make the band excited. Right. So, um, yeah. So yeah, you can just do anything. I mean, you can't really make a mistake recording anymore. Um, apart from if you make it boring, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I you don't want to make that. it boring for the band. You want them to be there. And you've also got to learn that they don't. They've. They. We should have weekends off, and and it should never turn into a chore. Right. Not in the army. Like, why would you know? It's hard enough. Why would you want recording to be a chore? And it can get really yeah. hard, especially for singers. You know, they've got to work on lyrics and and it can get tense because somebody will like a song and someone's brought a song in that there's a lot of politics. Um, you know, my song didn't get picked. Well, that song, I don't like that song. You know, so it's, yeah, you've got to deal with all that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that's a bit of a challenge. Is there a, not, not that we're wanting you to sort of name names, but was there a particular challenging moment with the bands? Uh, challenging moments, really. I mean, I, I think to get Don Broca's trust was felt like early on, felt like that was hard. Okay. We did this song called Automatic and it turned out really well. The band love it now, but I think the process of it, they were like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> Okay. We use everything sounding really slick, and I was trying to make it more clumsy sounding. Because um, I think for me, we bump well, all bands are what we do with Don Broco trying to get their humanity across and their personality was what I wanted to do all the time. And we cracked it. There's a song called One True Prince on the new album, and I think it's beautiful. Uh -huh. And they've got that in them. You know, Bobby's a really sensitive beautiful person who writes these lovely lyrics and sometimes that gets lost in all the craziness so always trying to get that humanity into their playing and everything because you should have the demos it sounds unbelievable so you're right. like, well, what, what can we do to improve this it's my job to make it worse <laughs> <laughs> i absolutely love that um okay well wait, maybe we'll play that song did you say one sweet prince one, one, true, one true prince yeah sweet true one true prince, one true prince yeah I'm, I'm this is one true prince by uh don broco so i have been on the road again recently with reef yeah you, you guys were not how was that it was a good time well it, it was it got better i lost my voice in the first week two gigs in so I hadn't done it for ages. Mm. Um, so that was uh, that was quite stressful, and I got quite upset about that because you know it's all you've got really. When you sing and you lose your voice, like oh, not again. Mm. I don't know why we're doing this. Too old. And then by the end of it, my voice got stronger and uh, started loving it, and we got better and better and better. And, and yeah, by the end of it, I didn't want it to end. And they're such lovely guys and, and girls. We've known them, known them for years. Um, 
so yeah, it was just brilliant, just brilliant. Everybody, everybody's doing it to have a nice time. There's no bullshit. Um, and it was great. You've been doing like on and off kind of tours and little shows here and there. Um, are there any plans for for more tours going forward? What, uh, yeah, what's, I'd love, what's coming I'd love up? To. I'd love to. I mean, we're, it's just really hard because we're all really busy. Like we keep mm. trying to write stuff as well. Max just sent okay. me some ideas down and I'll potter around with it. The to me is if, if I don't get something from it and, it and it ends up being too much effort, then I'll just, I'll just ditch it and think it wasn't right. Because I, I keep using my same production techniques on myself. Mm, it's quite right. a high bar. So we've got a few ideas and they're really good, but it's, it's down to me. It's my fault that, and I'm not a great singer. I don't have much, I don't have much to, I don't know, don't know what I can give to a song. I'm not like, I'm not like a proper rock singer. Do you know what I mean? So it's really hard um, to, to find where my voice is now, but I think I'm getting there and I'd love to put a record out and we'd love to make a record because we love each other and we have such a great time and touring loads of fun. So yeah, we'd love to do another tour, maybe end of this year, early next year, but we're all busy doing different projects and me and Adam have got businesses and, you know, Giles and Mark and, and Dan, they've all got jobs, and Tim, mm. who plays bass now, he's got a job. And um, but let's see. I'd love it. I'd love it. I'd love it. There was um, on your Instagram page, which I always enjoy because there's lots of old posters and tickets and things posted on there. There was um, a poster a couple of days ago, I think, for when you did a tour with you and Symposium, who we were talking about earlier, yeah. um, and all of the comments were like, right next year a and symposium on oh, tour make it happen that'd be fun <laughs> that'd be good right <laughs> yeah that would make me feel old same thing um, so really old now but yeah that'd be good that'd be good fun yeah, i think but, i think that would go down well yes yeah it probably would i mean yeah anything really to keep doing it and um try and grow old gracefully really um that's a oh I don't feel that old, but I, I am. I'm 53 now. So, okay. you know, my knees hurt when I get out of bed. And... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you've obviously toured with a lot of amazing bands, um, big bands, small bands, and a thing in between. Are there any bands that you, you love that you've never toured with that you would you would love to go out on the road with? Uh, well, I would have loved to have toured with the BC Boys, just so I could see them. Yeah. But I've probably been too much, all of them to enjoy it because um, they used to depress me I'd be like I'm never going to be th that good <laughs> that was the best life band I've ever seen um, yeah I'd love to go on tour with, with them back in the day um, rock band wise kind of played with everybody um, you know that we, we, we you know Offspring and Faith No More that was amazing and um yeah, that, that was great. And Green Day and, 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 and Blink and these kind of shows and tours were just really great. So, um, but to go on tour, God, it's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> I'd love to go on tour with a bunch of footballers doing a spoken word night so I can watch <laughs> Class of 92 talking. Okay, so yeah, who, who are the footballers right. then? Yeah, let's yeah, do that. We can do football, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, I, love, I was at Soccer Aid the other night with Robbie 
probably soccer aid that he does, which is just blown my mind how good he was. And, and um, I've got a lot of respect for Robin Williams as a person, as, a, as an artist, as a, as a human. And just the way he connects all these people together. I mean, I don't think he's a, he, I don't know of anybody that's like, he's like this conduit for everything. And, um, and we were sitting actually quite near where he was the other night, we were in the crowd. And he could just see like, you know, Beckham would come out and give him a hug and then it'd be Roberto Carlos and then it'd be Arsene Wenger. And then, you know, Dermot, the TV presenter would go over and give him a hug or Alex Scott or all the band or he'd like, wow. like this guy knows everyone. And then he walked, he walked out at half time and the entire stadium, 60,000 people started singing Angels, no <laughs> band, to Robbie. And he just went wow. like this. And it was like, <laughs> and all hairs, just like, whoa. And then he went onto the center of the pitch and actually did it properly. But before he played it, the whole state, and you're like, wow. Like, I'd love to be on a tour like that where, where the songs belong to the public. Um, right. Yeah, just being there with all these footballers, I was like, oh my God, he's Gary Neville there and he's Carragher and then, you know, Mark Noble's playing and then David James and just footballers just, yeah, I just love football. Um, and seeing Arsene Wenger in the flesh again, so I go to Arsenal every week and he was there and he looked so cool. And I really wanted to meet him, but I met Usain Bolt, but I didn't meet Arsene Wenger, so I was gutted, but <laughs> <laughs> he's one of my heroes. So I'm an Arsenal fan. Yeah, um, right. sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did well this year. We finished fifth. Great. <laughs> well, um, you're, you're chatting to a United fan and a Spurs fan, so oh, um, really? we can Great all be miserable together. <laughs> well, I don't know. Spurs had a good year in the end. Yeah, um, they did have a good year. And United, you know, it looks like Ronaldo's going to stay. And that was my favourite game of last year. Um, we were on the Reef Tour. We're in Birmingham and I came back to watch the United game at the Emirates and we won 3-1. Um, but I got there early because I wanted to see Ronaldo warm up. And, you know, I gave him a massive cheer when he walked out. There's only 300 people watching the warm-up, you know. Yeah. And some blokes next to me going, boo. I was like, dude, grow up. <laughs> I'm like, were you booing Ronaldo? And he's like, yeah, you call yourself an Arsenal fan. It's like, do you think he's scared of your boos? <laughs> the best footballer you've probably ever seen in your life yeah. and you, you can't even bring yourself to clap him like you're an absolute buffoon <laughs> people like this make me so angry and um, and then he scored Ronaldo scored which was great even though it was against us but like, I saw Ronaldo score and then we beat them 3-1 so it was just a perfect day yeah for, for Arsenal <laughs> yeah for me you know as a football fan and an Arsenal fan and I got to see Ronaldo, which was a dream, and yep. I just respect footballers so much. Really, I've never, I've never booed a support band. I've never stood there right. in the crowd and give yeah. a finger. I've never done that to a footballer. Um, so yeah, I just you know they're all human beings, aren't they? Trying their best. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Some in Manchester United need to try a little harder, though. Yeah, I agree, a hundred percent. They need a good talking to. Hopefully well, they'll get it this summer. Is Pogba leaving and is Ronaldo staying? What's the deal? Pogba's gone. Pogba's gone, has he? Thank God. Um, yeah. Ronaldo's staying. He'll probably go and do really well somewhere, won't he, Pogba? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Ronaldo's but, staying, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A new coach. I mean, having an interim manager at a club that big, what the hell was that about? That was madness. Absolute madness. That's super strange. 
Yeah. Super strange. They don't. Yeah, phenomenal. I mean, it's like I mean, it's it's, it's not it's, it it is a cliche, but when you see a manager genuinely making players better. Yeah. But, but but like, why is that rare? <laughs> like, that's what they should be able to do. But when you see them do it and you see someone who was absolutely shocking five or six games earlier, suddenly playing people off the park and running into the box and doing everything amazing. And you're just like, okay. yeah, that, that's... <laughs> well, to be fair, what was it? Five, six games to go. You guys were playing like world beaters. Yeah. Well, no, I'll tell you what happened, and it happened all season. We'd play really well, and then we'd have a break. So the Christmas break, and then the international right. break. And I knew we'd come back from that international break and, and not be the same level again. because. And then when we got beat, we'd lose three games in a row. Yeah. So I think there's something in, in, the, in the mentality of the team that, finds it hard to build back up from a knock or from a break. And, and back to what you're saying, and, and I think this applies to making records in a massive way, and I use loads of football analogies in the studio all the time, is that I think managers who make, make the job simple for the players. Right. That's the hardest thing in the world. Like, you know, Steve Jobs is a genius because he can simplify things. Um, right. That's really hard. Like Rick Rubin says about producing, he doesn't produce, he, re he reduces. Mm, and, yeah. and I think if a manager can do that, like Arsene Wenger can come in and say, this is how we're playing. You all know your jobs. Just, just go do them. But you need to know your jobs. And look at Kane and Song now. They know their job in that Arsenal game. And, yep. um, you know, and Rob Holding's coming out of position and, and trying to match up Son. He's like rubbing his hands. <laughs> Bad management from Arteta to do that. And try and get tight to him and rough him up because he's just going to spin you and, and they're off and that's yep. what happened and so I think I think managers who are secure enough to come in and, and make things simple but they're the, they're the genius oh you've got to look at Eddie Howe at Newcastle as well right I mean he's a future England manager isn't he and, but I think Gareth's a great manager I think Southgate's brilliant and um, we shouldn't be playing this thing that we all our players look exhausted I mean yeah Yes. Yeah, yeah. Game this season, and um, I think we'll be all right when it comes to. The, comes yeah, to the, I, I agree. They should definitely be on a beach. Like they've definitely yeah. earned it. Like you shouldn't be mucking about, running around with the Italians. Like go on a beach. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, you know, Italy beat us in the Euros and penalties, but we drew with them, and and we drew with Germany. Like, yeah. What do you want? You drew with Germany away from home on a friendly when. And, and you think about the human side of it as well. All those players have got their wives calling them up, nagging them, going, how come, what's his name's on holiday and we're not? And that family are on the beach and we're not. And, you know, so I just, I just think, well, they're playing now and we're missing it. But um, I wonder what the score's been. We'll, I'll go watch it in a minute. But um, Yeah, go and find out. Talk Probably nil-nil. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got any upcoming plans with your producing? Any, anyone booked in? Not, uh, there's a few things, which there's one thing that's going to be really exciting if, it, if we pull it off. Um, I can't say what it is. Top secret. Pull off. Yeah, um, it'd be really exciting for me. Um, so that, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and there's loads of business things that we're doing that are just really exciting as well. Um, that we've been working on for three years, full time, basically for nothing. And it's all starting to come to a bit of a head. And, and you know, it's not about the money, it's just about 
doing cool stuff with mm. cool people and that's really exciting me at the moment as well because it's all really creative it's all to do with entertainment right. and, and stuff so um yeah really excited about all that awesome awesome um, yeah great well um we would like to thank you very much for chatting to us loved all the stories and and i particularly enjoyed the uh, the day in the life of uh jason perry in the studio that was really interesting <laughs> i liked that <laughs> uh, i'm sorry i know i always talk too much and then no, no not at all I not do, at all I do, I do love it so yeah. that's fantastic so thank you so much have you got a um uh, a song that we can close with uh it can be an a song it can be a any song really um any um, particular favorites Think. well after the other night close with angels by robbie williams okay great amazing why not yeah let's and do that imagine faith and more playing that oh wow yeah <laughs> such an, a massive massive song but um yeah i think robbie's version is timeless you put it on now you're like it's weird angels i always expect the drums to be massive mm. but they're not it's just it's just one of the greatest records ever made it's a great it's song amazing. isn't it yeah but when you see a stadium singing it like that it's like, oh my god music's amazing isn't it yeah yeah yep <laughs> yeah it is uh, yeah brilliant um, well thank you, thank you so much Absolutely this pleasure. is angels by robbie williams what a lovely guy i say that every time we interview anyone yeah so good um okay we're gonna do our proper afters i thought that was it oh that oh we are doing our proper afters one take wonders i thought we were having the pre-chat before the chat but we're no. just going to do the real chat. Love him. Real chat. Love him to pieces. I want to hug him and tell him he's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't do that. That'd be weird. Okay. All right. Okay. I won't do that. I did I a little enjoyed, bit, a little bit weird. I enjoyed our football chat. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. We, um, before we, you know, we, um, Emo Football Dad is our little spin off podcast. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> as if we're not niche enough as it is. Maybe that's the next level. Exactly. Emo dad tackles the class of 92. <laughs> we could find um, footballers that listen to emo music. What's his name? Um, Have you got one? Uh, no, there's a Ch Chelsea goalkeeper, Peter Cech. He's a yep. big, big metal fan and a drummer. Ah, uh, yeah, that'll do. Maybe we can get Peter Cech on the podcast. David De Gea also likes uh, heavy metal. Does he? Yep. Yeah, wicked. And there was a Portuguese player who looked like Travis Barker. What was his name? It was for Chelsea. He used to wear really baggy shorts. He was into it. Um, anyway, so if you know, um, same to fans, if you can think of footballers who are into rock music, you might talk to us. <laughs> That'd be great. Drop us a we message. can do that. We should do that definitely. Um, but yeah, that was that was brilliant chat. Really enjoyed all the all the stories and uh as i said i enjoyed the day in the day in the studio with jason yeah. perry that was really, really interesting brilliant really enjoyed that that was really good um yeah awesome right oh, we did right we got um admin doing admin yeah we got an admin now um we've got something new haven't we we got a new thing we just added we're just adding new shit the world famous emo dad podcast adding new stuff taking over the world but, um, but this is it now. I'm not adding any more stuff because it's too much. To... <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gents, we are now on something that I didn't even know existed 12 hours ago. 
called Discord. Yeah. Um, which is what is it? <laughs> it's, a chat, it's, a, it's a chat room. That's what it is. It's a chat room. The the reason why we did it is because loads of independent emo mums and emo dads were emailing Matt and having chats. And he was like, mate, is there a place where they can all talk to each other? And I was like, yeah, I think it's called Discord. So we've created an emo dad, a place, an emo dad place. Hang where out. You, where you guys can hang out like, like in the 90s in chat rooms and be friends and talk to each other. And our, I mean, I, I briefly went on there and accidentally created a thread about Huberstank <laughs> and panicked and left. So I'm not sure how much I'll actually be on there panicking, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try and try and go on it and stuff, but I'm not promised anything because I, I really hate this stuff. Uh, but, but you might be on it, right? Yeah, so um, I'll be on it instead of working, probably, because that's generally <laughs> how it works. And um, yeah, so there's a link on... Um, in the notes for the episode so you literally just click through and i don't know download the app or whatever and uh and then there's people talking to each other and we've already got some friends on there um and it's just you know i i imagine i might be wrong a lot of people that listen to our podcast the reason they listen to our podcast is because they don't have other friends that share these music tastes yeah do you think probably that's true i think so yeah and that's not a bad thing that's just you no. know general life so now we can all be friends together and talk about bands and shit yeah exactly um that's why we started the podcast so you know come play too come and join the community um yeah so well so that's going thing. on yeah um buy a t-shirt i'm wearing one now what I've learned about the T-shirts is they're wicked quality, but definitely order a size up. That's my top tip. Or I just got fat. We're not sure. <laughs> we were discussing or, it earlier. Or buff. Yeah, doubt it's that. Doubt it's that. Even though I have been doing my chaturangas, so I might have improved my upper body strength. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's Thing, Emo Dad Yoga podcast coming soon. Um tip jar give us a couple of quid because this you know this this we we need to keep the lights on and the zoom subscription paid up and you know p- p- compensate us for the time we're not working and mucking about on discord um yeah. so um i think we're still taking donations for matt's hoodie fund yeah hoodie fund please great emo dad um, hoodie of course yeah so matt's trying to buy his own hoodie, which is fine, um, considering <laughs> we don't really take any profit out of the merch. Um, that's a thing. Uh, follow us on Instagram. That's where it all started. That's where it's all happening. Emo Dad Podcast at Instagram.com. I don't know like how you'd get here without going for Instagram, to be honest, but fine, do that. We've got a dusty email account, uh, which I fail to read. Um, emo Dad Podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email, be old school. It's, it's um, got like four emails from Jason Perry in it. Yeah, basically at the moment. And that's it. So that's it. So fill up our inbox, send us something funny, and you know, we'll probably post it online. Um we've got a playlist, I think. Go and listen to the playlist. I've put like two songs on it, Matt's done the rest. Yeah, I'm um, gonna update it actually. Before oh. I'm gonna it's updated. <laughs> Look at that. It's updated. There you go. Um I think if I have I got have I have I knocked them all down? Have you what? Have I have I done it? Have I done all my all our oh. stuff? Yeah, you, uh, I think so. Um, that that 
oh follow us uh give us a rating oh yeah give us more a than rating. four less than six we've given you loads of really fucking good guests lately we had a dry spell and then we've been we we're in a wet spell <laughs> Yeah. Thing? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. We're in a wet spell. Um. Oh, we should probably mention like the summer breaks coming up. Oh yeah, summer break. Um, we've got probably two more episodes after this. We've got another really good guest, hopefully. Yeah. I hope I haven't jinxed it now, but it'll be a really good one. And then we're gonna have like a roundup episode, and then yes. we're gonna sleep for a bit. That's but we'll be on Discord. Oh uh, yeah, we'll be we'll summer summer holes on Discord. Yeah, come and so, do you know? We'll have an email dad beach party virtual or something. Yeah, we we discovered last summer that no one really listens to podcasts during the summer, or at least not no, ours. They um, listen to ours over the summer, and like we put a lot of effort into stuff nobody listened to, so we're not going to do that again. Yeah, so we're <laughs> we're going to take a little break, give everyone a chance to catch up. Yes. Um, if you're new to the podcast, go and listen to the old episodes. Um, you know, there's loads there. So hopefully, uh, I know some people have listened to every single episode. Well played, those guys. Um, oh. But I'm sure a lot of people haven't. So go back and uh, and listen to the the old stuff, the old school, and you can That's see that. if we've improved. I I think we've got worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, probably. But we've got more rambly, I think, because we stopped caring about how long they are. Yeah, this is true. Um, so, yeah, go and listen to the old episodes. But we got two more. A li- yeah, two probably more. two more. Chill though. out. Uh, yeah, probably two. Um, thanks very much. Thanks for coming, everyone. Uh, we're going to play out with... I- I'm going to pick a song. Is that all right? An A song? You go for it. This is Something's Going On by A.